I, I don't know about you, but Tuesday seems like so far away. Like not this Tuesday, last Tuesday seemed just so far removed from where we are today. And I mentioned that because this week has been spring break and everybody was springing forward and, and with all the spring related things, as so many of you were off school or on vacations, many of our staff were off and on vacation, so we tried to get everything done really early this week. And so I, I had my sermon notes in, which are usually due on Thursday, uh, I had everything written and pre-planned out and ready on Tuesday. And so we printed and, and published and made everything uh, ready with the message. And then Wednesday came. And on Wednesday, that's when things started to start to roll downhill uh, in our country with everything going on with the virus. Uh, that's when things began to pick up. And suddenly Wednesday night, the Houston Rodeo was canceled. I'm like, oh, wow. I was just looking at all these memes about how Austin cancels things, but rodeo people don't quit. And, and then the rodeo people quit. And, and then, I, then shortly after that, the universities began to cancel. And people then canceled elementary school and all of these other events that were happening. And one by one, everything began to shut down. People began to publish different uh, articles about the reasons for their shutdowns. And so we had to respond in kind and say, hey, guys, uh, we're open for worship. Unless the county says, hey, this is something you need to stop. Unless the CDC comes out and says, this is no longer advisable, we're going to be open. And we, so we send out a church-wide email that says, listen, if you're not well, please stay home and recover. Don't be here to infect somebody else. It's okay for you to miss church for that. If you're immunocompromised, we want you to be able to stay safe because we value your health. Please stay home. And we're going to be creating online ability for you to watch, but for the rest of us, we're going to be here. And then... Uh, last night, as I was kind of reviewing and going over the message in my brain, um, it, it was a, I, I liked the message so much. And it was a great message about invite your friends to church, but it didn't seem timely today. <laughs> See, we've been doing this whole thing about uh, being on mission and what it means to do that. And last week, we talked about bringing your friends to Jesus, and we were continuing on that trend. And I thought, e even if you believe me, and even if I inspire you to invite your friends to church, I can't promise we're going to have it next week. Uh, even yesterday at, at 6 p.m., the city announced, hey, no gatherings larger than 500. I want you to know Fellowship of Ozo Creek is not larger than 500, so we can still meet. E even if half of you stay home, um, which you did, <laughs> uh, we, we can still meet. If the city goes smaller than that, we'll likely have to go to a digital format. We'll probably encourage you guys, hey, Sunday morning, why don't you all go to your life groups and stream there? I don't know how big your life group is, but it's probably smaller than 500. And so if we get limited in what we can do, I want you to know we have contingency plans in there. And so last night, I began reformulating the message. Uh, so you can take your creek notes and just put them in your pocket, which is what I kind of did with the message. And I'll pull it out another time. And so all of those blanks you see on your creek notes won't be filled in today. And so everything we kind of planned, we're going in a different direction. And so I wanted to be able to talk about, and then I had a really hard time figuring out what do I teach about now? Like, I could teach about the scripture where it says to greet one another with a brotherly kiss, but that did not seem to be the most pertinent message for today. I could teach about the time where Jesus' disciples did not wash their hands and the Pharisees came and said, that's disgusting. Do you know what they just did? And oh, that seemed like a relevant message. I'm not sure the, 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 the point of it conveys to our current situation. So if you would, open up to the book of John, chapter 13. By the way, that's a real story in case you thought I was making that up. 
John chapter 13. Uh, the book of John is with the guy's names, with the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I want to direct you towards the last night of Jesus' life. This is his last act before he goes to the cross. It reveals his true intentions, his true motivations. And scripture will give us this glimpse into the heart and the motives and even the soul of Jesus and what's happening as he's heading towards the cross. John chapter 13, beginning at verse 1, says this. It says, it was just before the Passover festival. Uh, that's kind of like the Eastover festival, but a little bit different. Uh, the Passover was the time where they would come together and they would celebrate God passing over uh, them during uh, their time in Egypt. It was their time where they would just come together and just celebrate the greatest deliverance that they had. And so Jesus got together for this last meal, this last supper with his disciples. It's what we call communion. And it says that Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Uh, Jesus knew his life was not going to continue. Jokingly, during the prayer, I said, hey, uh, living a, a healthy life is simply the shortest, is simply the longest route towards an inevitable end. And I want you to know, Jesus knew his time had come. He knew where he was going. He knew he was returning to the Father. I, I don't know what's going to get me in the end. It, it may be slow. It may be painful. It may be quick. It may be a bus. It may be a heart attack. I may be 60. I may be 80. I may be 41. I don't know what's going to take me in the end. But I promise you, there will be a moment where you die. There will be a moment that ends you. I don't know if it'll be a cold or if it'll be a virus. I don't know if you'll be old and immune compromised when it happens. I don't know if you'll be young and nobody sees it coming. But we all meet the same end. What do you do when you face the reality of your own mortality? And you see, Jesus knew and he showed us. How would you live if you knew you were going to die? See, Jesus knew his time had come for him to go to the Father. And he says, having loved his own and his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And it gives us this picture into Jesus. It shows him his motives for what he's about to do. It says he loved them. And love is going to be his motivation. Love is going to change the way he acts. How impactful is love in your life? How large of a motive is it for you? I have a friend who's now in his 40s, and he's been single his whole life. And, and I remember whenever he got into a, a, a relationship, there was this moment where all of the guys kind of came back together. And for whatever reason, because these are the guys I went to high school with and the guys I hung out with in college, we always tend to regress to who we were whenever we get together. And therefore, we do stupider things that young men should do, despite the fact we are now getting to be older men. And, and we wind up doing things that I don't do in my normal life, but I try and convince these guys that I'm still that guy. And so as we gathered in this group of guys, uh, my friend Dave was contemplating selling his motorcycle. And, and we were just kind of looking at it. He's the last one with a motorcycle because everybody else is married. And so he has access to this motorcycle, and we're like, you can't do that. 
And he's like, well, you know, now that things are getting serious in my relationship, and we realized his motivations for selling the motorcycle. And it just became this moment where instead of accepting his love and his decisions, we rebelled against this. And we said, Dave, you must exert your masculinity by keeping this motorcycle for all of our sakes. And it was as if we realized suddenly, it was like, this isn't you. She wants you to get rid of the motorcycle, doesn't she? You can't do that. You are setting a pattern that will follow you in your marriage. You have to hold on to this. And it was as if every man in the room was being emasculated by this one act. And so we all were trying to preserve Dave in having this motorcycle to live vicariously through him because we had all gotten rid of ours. And we said, you can't do this. And, and it became this moment where Dave was hemming and hawing and kind of got red in the face. And I realized he was a little bit embarrassed. And so I simply phrased it like this. I said, hey, guys, Dave has had 40 years to do whatever he wants to do. And now that he's found love, letting go of all those other things doesn't matter. You see, love can be a motivator that will change you from the inside out. And, and Jesus says here that Jesus, having loved his own, he loved them to the end. And it gives us this motive of Jesus. What's about to happen is motivated by God's love. It's motivated by the love of Jesus Christ in your life. And it will change your actions. It says, the evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. It gives us a little bit of background. And it says, Jesus already knew Judas's plan. You see, Judas had a plan to betray Jesus, and that did not change what Jesus was going to do for Judas. If you knew that someone was going to be betraying you, if you knew that someone was going to turn your back on you, if you knew that all of your friends were going to run, deny even knowing you, how would you, as Jesus, have handled this Last Supper? It would have been a literal come-to-Jesus meeting. It, for me, it would have gone very differently. And, and Jesus knows he's going to be betrayed. Have you ever felt this? Have you ever felt like something's coming, but you have no ability to do anything about it? And it says this, Jesus knew, though, that all power had been placed under him. See, Jesus knew he wasn't powerless to stop this. It's interesting because it says he knew that God had now placed all power under his feet. That God had placed all power in the hands of Jesus. Everything at this point was in Jesus' command. That was not always the case, guys. You see, before, Jesus says, I can only do what the Father wants me to do. Apart from him, I can do nothing. Jesus himself admitted, my own power level is nothing. And in Philippians, it says that Jesus emptied himself of his power. We know the narrative of Christmas is simply God, who has all power, all ability, can do anything in the world, takes all of his power and sets it aside to come down as a human baby. Have you thought about that? Jesus made himself powerless and helpless. We, we forget the way that God came, which is why we have to remember it each Christmas. The fact that God said, listen, I'm going to be so powerless, he is going to be dependent upon somebody else to feed him. I'm going to be so powerless, I'm going to be dependent upon somebody else to hold my head up. Remember when you had a newborn baby? 
or the last time you held a newborn baby, or the last time you, someone let you work in the nursery with newborn babies, and they couldn't even hold their own head up, and you're like, it's not that hard. But you have to support them because they can't do anything, and they're just powerless in your arms. And God said, I'm going to make myself that. You see, God set apart all of his power. And as Jesus grew, he didn't grow into his power. You see, Jesus said, I can only do what the Father tells me to do. Apart from him, I can do nothing. But at this moment, this is the moment where for whatever reason, God says, all things are now under your power. Everything from this point forward is under your command. It's this amazing moment. It says he knew, it says now that Jesus understood where he came from. He came from God and he was returning to God. Literarily speaking, we call this the hero's journey. It's this plot of every single Marvel movie. Every single superhero movie goes this way. They start off confused. And have you ever noticed how many superhero movies start with the, the hero does not know who they are? They, they've either forgotten or they haven't discovered it yet. And, and then there's this moment in the movie where they figure out who they are. And when they understand who they truly are, all of their power comes to them. It's this moment in, in the Mrs. Or Captain Marvel movie where she's forgotten who she was, but when she remembers, suddenly there's this unlimited power. You see, and literarily speaking, we call this the hero's journey, where they finally understand who they are, and all of their power comes to them. And, and all of the enemies are therefore crushed and defeated. Yet this is not what Jesus does with his power. It's not this moment that he does something with that. Instead, it says, so, which is a transitional word. This is what's about to happen. Because, that word so simply means because he understood his power, because he understood who he was, because all things have been placed under him, and because he loved. So, this is what's going to happen. Here's what he did. Let me take a minute before we get there and talk about what Jesus did. What would you do if all power had come to you? If you had all power, if God put all things under your feet, what would be your first act? You probably don't want to tell me in church. I, I don't know what my first act, if God gave me all power, I, I don't really know what I would do with it. I do know this, I probably would not create you. Like you are more trouble than you are worth. I don't know why God created human beings who need him so badly. Like, I definitely would not have created seven billion of you. I don't know of any other species who denies God until we're in trouble, and then we say, well, let's all pray to him. And who even does not believe in him as we cry out, help me, God. You see, how we treat God is we ignore him when things are going well. We, we call on him when things are going poorly. When things go worse, we blame him for the problem. I would not create that problem in my life. If I had all power, I would not create a people who I would love without condition when they won't even love me with conditions. Some of you, the only reason you are not in jail is because you are not all powerful. One of the things my wife regularly says to me is she will look at me and she goes, it's a good day it's a good thing that I cannot shoot lasers out of my eyes. There, there are things my wife confesses to me what she would do if they were all powerful. We'll be driving 
And I know what she would do if she were all powerful. That car that just cut her off, gone. <laughs> I probably would not be around. There would be a moment that I would be gone too. I don't care how healthy your marriage is. If you were all powerful and that guy cuts you off, gone. That ex-boyfriend, gone. The other ex-boyfriend, gone. The other ex-boyfriend, gone. I, I know you. And, and then it's only a matter of time until you cut somebody off and you're gone too. And you see, this is what we would do if we were all powerful. And we cannot be trusted with this power. Have you ever heard the phrase, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely? I don't think that's true. Because at this moment, Jesus had absolute power. And he's the only one with absolute power. You see, power simply reveals who you are. Power reveals what has been in you all along. And if you had absolute power and, and, and you use it against people, it just reveals what's truly in our hearts. It reveals the problem with mankind, the problem that Jesus came to fix. And it says, and it sets all of this up, it says what at the core of Jesus was this, he loved so when he had absolute power and could do anything with it, this is what happens in the story. It says, so he got up from the meal and took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around his waist. It says he took off his outer clothing. This was not this hero moment. I have all power. And he's like, now behold the S on my chest moment. He took off his outer cloak as in stripping off any kind of authority he had. Wrapped a towel around his waist like a servant. Got down and began washing the disciples' feet. No wonder Judas was so angry at this point. You see, it says that Judas had already decided to betray Jesus. And this act prompted it. Because the very next thing that happens is Judas will leave and try to betray Jesus. And there are a lot of different things that theologians may believe about Judas's motives for betraying Jesus. Honestly, I don't think that Judas was trying to kill Jesus. I could be wrong, but when I read the story... I see a lot of regret in this. I don't think he was after Jesus' death. I think he was trying to paint him into a corner where he had to act. Because he's been given all power and all authority, and this is not the way someone who's been given all power and all authority acts. Jesus, we need you to do something. And I think Judas wanted Jesus to be more like him. When really Jesus was trying to get Judas to be more like him. And there's a moment where I think Judas is trying to paint Jesus into a corner. And he thinks, if I can spur action out of him, if I can lead things to a catalyst, then Jesus will finally do what we've been waiting for him to do, and he will take the power that is his. I think he's trying to do something to move Jesus to action. It's why I think when he succeeded and he realized that Jesus still didn't take up his power, but laid it down, Judas panics. And he goes to the high priest and tries to undo everything he's done. He tries to give them the money back, and they're like, too late. He threw the money at their feet. He didn't care about it anymore. And he was so filled with remorse, he went and hung himself. 
I think Judas was trying to spark something in Jesus to get him to use his power how we would. So that when the Romans came, gone. Use power the way that power is meant to be used, Jesus, and lay waste to your enemies. And Jesus was not going to become more like Judas. You see, we, I, I think I have an insight to Judas's motivations. Scripture gives us an insight to what Jesus' motivations are. He says he was moved by love, and he loved his own, and now he was going to show them the full extent of his love. And he got down and, and he served, and he made himself a servant. I'm going to say something that I, it might upset you because it upset me when I said it to me. God, at his core, is a servant. That's not how I like to think of God. That's not how I like to picture God. The songs that I sing about God sing of him as a king. We sing of him reigning and ruling because that's the kind of God we want. Because you and I, we're like Judas. We want a God who's going to tackle our problems, to use his power like we would. We don't sing about God as a servant. You see, we all know God is more powerful than us. You know what's strange is God is also more humble than us. That's not the way it should be. And I say God is more humble than us because I read the story. And every single person, you see, what should have happened is the moment they came to dinner, there should have been a servant at the door to wash their feet. Somebody there... Whoever the lowest person would be would come and would wash their feet. They would remove their sandals from any dust or caked on mud or our fecal matter that had dropped on the road. And whatever they've been walking on in their sandals or bare feet that day, depending on how well your sandals are holding up. I don't know about you, but I can't get a pair of sandals to last for more than a year. And I rarely wear them. And so they would come and they would wash the feet. They would put them in the basin of water and, and just clean them and get all that the things, whatever may have been there, in between their toes. And it's a humbling thing. And not one of the humans in the room, okay, Jesus was human, but he was also fully God. Not one of the people, the disciples in the room, humbled themselves. And so it was God who humbled himself. And he washed feet. See, what I, I want to, one of the reasons I wanted to change up the message today was not just because, um, <laughs> Hey, hey, everybody invite your friends to church message was poorly timed. But because, guys, in, in today's current environment where our society is, what you need to know in these next weeks, these next months, I, I don't know what's going to happen next, is you need to know wash hands to be sure. But we are called to be people who wash feet. You need to wash your hands when you're out there all the stinking time. You know, maybe even when there's not a public epidemic. But at this time, what people need is people will need people who are willing to wash feet, people who are willing to serve. In a society where panic is running rampant, where people's health is going to be in jeopardy, where, where from whatever caused it, stores are selling out, people are beginning to hoard, and, and people need help. We have got to be a people at this moment who wash feet. I've been trying to pay a lot of attention 
to what's happening around us so that I can begin to make calls for the church. Watch things to figure out, okay, uh, do we need to shut down our doors? Is it going to make us close down? Can we still meet in life groups? What's going to happen with the Easter festival? I'm trying to really keep a beat on this. And so um, I'm watching the CDC websites. I'm watching the local health websites. And I'm watching Facebook. Because like you, that's where I get most of my news is through memes. But what I've been really interested to see is what's happening on our own Fellowship of Oso Creek page. People will put things out there like, I have this need. We had a mom who simply said, hey, I need milk. Like, I, I can't find the milk that I give for my baby anywhere because it's all been bought out. And I don't know what to do at this point. And so people began scouring the stores near them. People are like, I got this milk. I found this one. Hey, I just went to the store. I found this. What do you need? And I watched as people begin to serve and wipe one another's feet. There are people who are going to have needs. They don't need milk, but maybe they're going to be out of work in the next couple of weeks simply because of whatever's happened. Their business shut down. And when you shut down, you don't get paid. Some of the things that are shutting down means some people don't get paid. I love, what's his name, the 19-year-old basketball player from the Pelicans. Uh, they're shutting down the NBA, which means everybody who works at whatever stadium they play in isn't getting paid. And this 19-year-old basketball player says, I'm paying everybody's salary. I can, I can swing that. The guy who owns the Pelicans is one of the richest men in the world. And a 19-year-old says, I'm going to pay everybody's salary. That's the difference in the heart of a servant. That's someone who understands why you've been given what you've been given, whether it's power or whether it's... Uh, Power. You, you've, been, you've been given it for a reason. What are you going to do with it? See, we have to decide because right now we should be washing hands, but we should be washing feet. And Jesus humbles himself in a way that nobody else in the room would. And we wrestle with God being a servant because that's not really what we deserve. Like, there were times where, I don't know about you, but I'm like, why would God keep us around? Like, why would God create us? And I get that God's a creative God, and he's just making stuff. You know, one day he's in a creative mode, he goes, I'm going to make a platypus. What if I took a duck bill and a beaver tail and did all this weird stuff? Today I'm going to make kangaroos. I'm in the mood for something with a pouch. And maybe in God's creative face, he's like, hey, I'm going to make humans today. What if I just made a bunch of rebellious people who would just, like, spit in my face after all my love? I'm like, that doesn't seem, I don't get that one. I get the platypus, I get the kangaroo, I get the like, let's stretch out this guy's neck and make a giraffe. I get a lot of stuff. I don't get humans. Because it doesn't bother God at all to wash our feet. Jesus isn't sitting there grumbling about it. He's not like, well, nobody else is going to do it. He just gets down. It bothers us that Jesus washes feet. And that's what happens next is Jesus, he came to Simon Peter, who said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not now realize what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. I love when someone says never. I'm setting conditions upon you, Jesus. It's never going to happen. And then Jesus goes, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. And then Peter goes, then Lord, not what... Not just my feet, but my hands and my head. Wash my whole body. Boy. Peter goes extreme either way. 
Peter's pendulum just swings like all the way across. It's like, you will never wash my feet. Jesus says one sentence, wash my whole body. I'm like, dude, you just like, those extremes. Talk about a pendulum swing. You see, I understand why Peter was repulsed by this. I understand why Judas was repulsed by this. Because we want a God who's going to rein his power in on our behalf. He just thinks that looks different than we do. And we have a God who says, no, I'm going to be a servant. And then we get Jesus' reply. Jesus says, Peter, I am the only one who can make you clean. I am the God who kneels down to wash you. Because unless I come, unless I serve, nobody else is coming for you. And you can never be clean. And then Peter's like, just wash all of me then. And Jesus replies, he answered, those who have had a bath only need to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. He goes, and you are clean, although not every one of you. For he knew who would betray him. And why he said everyone was not cleaned. And you see, it's interesting. Peter goes, then just give me a bath. And Jesus goes, that's not what this is about, Peter. He goes, I don't mean literally. He goes, I mean, there's nobody else who can make you clean. You see, we use antiquated language in the church sometimes, and we say we need to have our sins forgiven. And what we mean when we say we need to have our sins forgiven is the only one who can make you clean is the God who is so humble that he would come down and not look at you repulsed, but to look at you with love. You see, that's who God is. And he goes, I will humble myself. I will set aside my power. And then when he finished washing their feet and put on the clothes and returned to his place, he said, do you understand what I've done for you? And he goes, listen, you call me teacher and master, and rightly so, because that's what I am. Now, if I, your master, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. He goes, listen, listen, I'm your master. You call me master, and that's accurate. If I am the Lord, then how much more should you be willing to serve? If I am your servant king, if I am your servant God, then who should you be imitating? You see, we have this twisted idea that we serve God as if he needed our service. We have a God who welcomes our cooperation, who welcomes our service, because we have the privilege of serving alongside of him and working with him. But God does not need our service. We need his. God does not need our love. We need his. And so God says, listen, I have come to serve the world. And if this is who I am, then what should you be doing? He goes, you call me teacher, right? So I'm teaching you now. If I'm the master and I serve, then you as my servants should. He's almost like waiting for the answer. Serve. He goes, do you understand? I feel like Jesus was always teaching kindergarten. It's like, do you understand? You see, the reason God created us is because God is love. He doesn't need our love. He is love. And he loves us. And the reason God allows us to destroy our own lives is because there is no love without the context of freedom. 
You see, there can be no love unless there's a choice to love, unless there's a choice to respond to God in love. And so there has to be freedom, the freedom to choose. And so we pray to God in these national days of prayer, whenever there's something tragic happening, and we say, God, do something about the violence. Just end things. Why don't you just, like, fix things in the Middle East? Why don't you just fix this or that? And I think that any thinking human being knows God could make the world perfect tomorrow and we would mess it up by Thursday. Because if God's going to fix the world, it means taking us out. Because the problem is with us. Because if we had absolute power, oh, you know what we'd do with it. And it reveals our inner core. But when Jesus had it, it revealed his inner core. And he goes, I have come to serve in love. And you, as my followers, therefore, should serve in love. You see, Jesus' solution for peace does not force peace upon us, but it brings peace within us. And there are a couple things within our context today that I want you to catch. One is that Jesus Christ brings peace. And if it's not peace to the external world, it's peace within us. You see, we are in the middle of a world that needs to know peace. I love the verse, and I believe it's also from Philippians, which says, uh, uh, the God of peace, which transcends all understandings, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You see, when it says the God of peace, which transcends all understanding, there is a peace which goes beyond what people can comprehend. He goes, Jesus will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We need to have that peace with a world that has lost its mind right now. And it can be hard to figure out how to do that. Because memes show up saying everybody's buying toilet paper. And so most people don't freak out about the virus and go buy toilet paper. You know what made them freak out and go buy toilet paper? Is other people going out and buying toilet paper. Because I will need toilet paper. Okay? And there will be this moment in which I, I am glad I have it. And if I don't go buy it now, it may not be available later. And so suddenly I'm finding myself with a mob mentality. And it's not because I'm freaking out. It's because I know other people are going to freak out. And if I'm smart, I'll get ahead of this and buy it today. So I run to the grocery store. And I fight with people. And I find myself among them. And it's hard to figure out, okay, okay, if I have a peace that transcends understanding, then what am I going to do? How am I going to act differently than this world? How do I look like a servant to people who need it the most? And I really do think one of the best ways that we can serve this world right now is to be an example of peace. To show people where our peace comes from. The other thing is Jesus actually knelt down and met people's physical needs. And it was disgusting. Friends, I'm going to say something that you might not agree with, but I really think is one of the points of this. I think that service looks like doing some disgusting things that we would not want to do. And I don't want you to put yourself at a place where you become compromised in your physical health. Except for I think Jesus just did that. 
Like, that's not clean, cleaning people's feet. I mean, I think he washed his hands beforehand. I think he washed the feet afterwards. I definitely think he washed his hands before he went and finished the rest of the meal, especially if he's dipping his hands into, like, the goblet and the bread and the wine and everything. So please wash your hands, but do not let that take away from the importance of washing feet, of serving people in the midst of this crisis. That may mean we need to prepare a meal and bring food to those who are sick. That may mean checking on your neighbor. That may mean compromising yourself by having to go to the grocery store for somebody else. I don't know. You've got to pray and figure that out. What I know is at this time, we have to be the example of Christ for a world that's kind of losing its mind. We have to show what it is to love Jesus Christ. And, and you may disagree with that, and that's okay. And, and I, I want to be very clear because I wasn't trying. When we held our doors open and went, I'm like, hey, guys, we're open for worship. I'm worried some people misinterpreted that. Like, we don't take this, this virus seriously, or we don't take your health seriously. We do. Like, we, we spent a lot of time trying to figure out, okay, here are the changes we're going to make. Our greeters, nobody touch a door. Like, only greeters open doors. Like, nobody else touch a doorknob while you're here. And we have, like, so much hand sanitizer around this place right now. And, like, we had only Alan's allowed to touch the keyboard because if all, like, you know, like, 50 of you, like, typing on the keyboard, then something's going to get spread. And we take your health seriously, so we're making changes. And, and if you're immune compromised, I mean it when I say, listen, you should really stay home. And we're going to make it as convenient as possible for you by not only streaming this, but we're going to get better at streaming over the week because we haven't had to be in that position before. So we're going to get better at it this week. And if you're sick, please stay home. That's how you can serve us. I mean all of those things. But we can't bunker away. I quoted A.W. Tozer this week on our Fellowship of Oso Creek page, which simply says, a scared world needs a brave church. So what are we going to do with our power? You see, Jesus, it's interesting. It says all power had been given to him at this moment. And we never see him perform another miracle from this moment on. Except for the resurrection. That was a pretty good one. We don't see him perform another miracle before his life ends. And it's interesting because what do you do when you have all power at your hands? He doesn't do any more miracles. Instead, he simply comes and he serves. And he serves to the point of the cross. And he gives up his own life. You see, I think he needed the power of God to be able to lay down his own life. Because when they came for him with a cross... I genuinely believe, with all the power of God, he could have grabbed that and just like batted people into the sun with it. Said, I ain't going. And he laid down his life. He laid down his life so we could have life. He laid down his life so that you could know peace. And that's how Christ responds. So the question for us is, what will we do with the power that has been given to us? What will we do with this moment that has been given to us, with this opportunity that has been given to us? 
And I want to encourage you guys, please wash your hands. Do everything you can because it's not just your health. It's about everybody else's health who's affected by this as well. But be looking for an opportunity to wash feet. Let's go be the church.